Good morning, everybody. As Ashley said, my name is Travis Sears. Uh, I'm actually a graduate of McPherson College, and I, it was my 20th reunion coming up, so I'm officially old right now. Um, I'm married, uh, Katie Sherman, now Katie Sears. She was a 2003 graduate of Central College, uh, played soccer here, played basketball here, really stud athlete and still is, even after having four kids. Our oldest daughter, Jordan, is 18, graduating in May, heading off to Newman. Our next daughter is Gentry. She's 15. She's here. She's about to celebrate her sweet 16th birthday party, which is phenomenal. Our next boy is 12. He's about to turn 13, and he's blessing us with already starting to act like a teenager. And our youngest is 10. Guys, I t I, it's an unbelievable thing that the God of the universe asks us to teach his word. In John chapter 1 and Revelation 19, 13, Jesus names himself the word of God. And that means the Bible we have is a portrait of Jesus Christ. And every book in it, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is a portrait, is a characterization of who Christ is. And we get the opportunity to study that. I wanted to warn you on one thing going forward. I, I have ADD, and I have it pretty impressively. When I was about 25, my mom watched a special on ADD, and she said, that's Travis, all right? My mind is always going, it is always racing, and I'm always doing something. So this is where it might get fun for you. The Bible excites me, and excitement and ADD is not a good combination. My brain is going to start working faster than my mouth, and that means my mouth has the ability to try and keep up. So I might skip words, I might combine words, I might just say something really weird, and you guys get the blessing trying to figure out what I actually was talking about. Today, we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, and if you guys have a Bible, if you have your phones, go to Jeremiah 15, verse 16. In the book of Jeremiah, if you guys know anything about it, this is, they're called the major prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, excuse me, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. After that is the minor prophets from there to the end of the Old Testament. And see, what is going on here is Israel is in this state of disobedience. As a country, they are rejecting God and going a different way. And God's response to them is start to send different prophets throughout Israel at different time or different places to call the people back, to call them towards repentance. Because as a country, they're going the wrong way. And Jeremiah here is the author of his book titled Jeremiah. And in verse 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 10, it's literally titled Jeremiah's Complaint. And, and what he's saying here is, God, I'm doing what you tell me to do. I'm saying the words you want me to say, and the people's response to me is to reject me and persecute me, and he is complaining towards God. But in verse 16, this passage takes a different turn. And in verse 16, it, to me, it's almost this looking back, like Jeremiah is complaining, he's in the moment, talking about things happened, and in verse 16, he's looking back at his life, and he's saying, this is how it all began for me. This is where I finally gave my life to God. Verse 16, if you have your Bibles or your phones, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Let's pray real fast. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I come before you and I just ask for your words to be spoken. That everything that comes forth here is truth to who you are and what you have done for us, Father. Expand on this verse. Show us more about who you are. Let us leave here with greater knowledge of you. Guys, I want to look at this verse. 
four different parts. The first part of this verse is the words, your words were found. If you read commentaries, a lot of different ways that this thing is taken, right? But I'm telling you, or what I think, is this is the part that Jeremiah is saying, I finally bowed my knee to God. He's looking back. This is his salvation moment where he was going his own way, doing his own thing, and he's looking back and he's saying, I surrender. And I'm telling you, there is nothing changed today. We get to have the same opportunity and the same question given to us. The same thing to look at our lives and realize I'm not enough. I am in my sin. I know where I'm going. And I got the opportunity to bow my knee to the God of the universe and say, your will be done, not mine. Nothing has changed. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus makes a claim when he's talking. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He said, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. I'm telling you, the one up here, I'm that sinner that was called back. Who has made the, 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 the statement, I, I bow my knee to God. And the reason I say bow my knee, we, we like the statement, I'm going to invite Jesus to live in my heart. Well, that's cool. That's a three-inch Jesus, right? About that big, and I let him in, I can just say, hey, Jesus, we're going for a ride. Let's roll. Well, see, when I step into Christ, Galatians chapter 3, or I bow my knee to Christ, there's this act of submission. There's this act of, of going where he wants to go, an act of surrendering my will. And this is what Jeremiah is talking about. Your words were found. And if that's true, if I surrender my life, that means this book is no longer just a book among many. It is the words of God. It has now become to me something completely different than what I thought it was before. Your words were found. Next phrase is, I ate them. Now, sorry about my mic. That's an interesting phrase when talking about reading the Bible. I ate the words of God. Now, he's not talking about wadding up the paper and eating them, right? So he's using this analogy here of what does it mean to eat God's word. Let's chase this trail a little bit here, right? You go to the cafeteria central, it's 10 a.m., so you guys probably just had breakfast, right? Whatever you ate in there, what, bits of gravy, bowl of cereal, bagel, I don't know, whatever they, they feed you there, your body takes that and starts this form of digestion. And you have this intricate machine that can take whatever you put inside of it and starts the digestion process. And your body's going to pull out of that food calories, vitamins, minerals, and nutrients all on the way that feed every cell of your body. Jeremiah's using this example to say this is how we are to read the word of God. This is not just a book I casually glance at. So the question comes to us, how do I learn best? If I was to give you a, a packet of papers and say, hey, we have a test over this in one week, it's going to count for 50% of your grade. How would you study that? How would you learn that? Some of you guys say, I, I learn best in the morning. I first get up, sweet, that's when you need to read your Bible. Some of you say, hey, I learn best when I read at night right before I go to bed. That's awesome. That's when you should read your Bible. Some of you in the middle of the day. Some of you say, man, I like music playing in the background, whether I have my headphones in, headphones in or whether I just have music playing. I'm like, then do it. Some of you like to have complete silence in your Bible. Then do it. Some of you like to take notes. Some of you like to do whatever, right? Whatever it is that situates you to where this book gets into this mind and saturates through, that is what we are called to do. 
and I am to eat the word of God on a continual basis so that that word gets to every cell in my body. The word of God was found, and I ate them. Third phrase, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Your words were found. I gave my life to Christ. Two, I started eating the word of God on a consistent, disciplined basis. And then the joy comes. That's weird. That's an, that's an interesting timetable that Jeremiah just put out. But I'm here to tell you, that's the way life works. Let's say I want to learn to play guitar. I saw two guitar players up here, and they are both phenomenal, and I suck at guitar. If I first started playing the guitar, there would be zero joy in the discipline of learning something new. But if I stayed persistent, and if I stayed consistent, and if I disciplined myself, the joy would eventually come. Choose a new sport. You're not going to be good at first. But if I stay disciplined, I stay consistent, the joy is going to come. My oldest daughter is graduating in May, and she's going off to Newman College to play basketball next year. I had the joy of coaching her from kindergarten through seventh grade. And I will tell you, the first several years, there was not much joy. Right? Can't do a layup. Can't dribble basketball. Can't make a shot. But she stayed consistent. My second daughter is a phenomenal artist. I remember back to what she drew as a kindergartner, as a four-year-old, as a three-year-old. There was no joy in what she was doing. But she stayed disciplined. She stayed consistent. And now the joy is coming as she has the ability to see an image and get that image on paper. Anybody here ever choose to lift weights? Who in here remembers their first squat day? I now work at the refinery a half mile from here, but my job before then, I was a weightlifting coach. And I had the ability to take people, teach them squat, teach them deadlift, teach them clean and jerk, teach them snatch. And every single day, the first time they'd come in, we would have our squat day because that's where it is. And the next day, I'd see them walk in with a funny little hobbled walk as everything from their belly button down is now in pain. Y'all remember that? It didn't matter how much weight you had on the bar, right? I could have squatted five pounds. And the next day sucked. And I always ask this question, why did you ever choose to squat a second time? At the end of your first squat day, zero joy, zero improvement. In fact, you're running slower. You're jumping less high because your muscles hurt so bad. But if you chose to keep lifting, all of a sudden the soreness started getting, not getting quite so bad. All of a sudden, the weight on the bar started to increase. All of a sudden, I started running faster. All of a sudden, I started jumping higher. All of a sudden, when I hit that baseball, the ball started going further. When I jumped up to spike the volleyball, all of a sudden, that ball was relieving my hand at a faster rate. Then the joy came. Guys, this is reading the Bible. I'm going to tell you right now, if you choose to make a plan to read the Bible the first time, when you first start reading the Word, there's going to be little to no joy. Keep eating. 
There's going to be times that you read two, one, two, three chapters, and you're not going to remember what you read. Keep eating. The times I say, this is a waste of my time, Travis. There's nothing there for me. I'm not getting it. I'm reading about a culture that's up to 3,500 years ago about people who cannot relate to my life, nor I can relate to their life. Keep eating. Because if you keep doing it, like all disciplines that happen in your life, the joy is going to come. Your words were found. I gave my life to Christ. I then started eating his word. Then the joy came. And the last phrase here. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. The reason the word of God brings me joy is it tells me, one of the things it does, it tells me who I am. You guys live in a world that defines you all the time. And your definition of the world changes from your good to your bad, right? You go in and you have a phenomenal performance in a game. And you are defined as good. The next game, you don't. And your definition changes. Worship team does this phenomenal job and we define them as good or the next time they don't, and we define them as bad. You go in and take a test, and you bomb it, right? You're defined down here. The next day after that, you do this awesome job of studying. All of a sudden, your definition changes. We live in a culture now. You say the wrong thing to the wrong person, and you are redefined down here. See, the Bible tells me that God has already defined me. In Colossians 1.22, it said, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And what it means by this is you've now been brought into agreement because of the cross. Jesus Christ, through the cross, will present you and present me as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Say it again. You will be presented to God as holy, as blameless, and above reproach. Holy means set apart. It means I'm no longer the same. I am a new creation, which 2 Corinthians talks to me about. The old is gone, the new has come, right? I realize that I am no longer of this world. I have been redeemed. I am holy. Second one is blameless, and the third one is above reproach. Very similar words in the Greek. And here's what it means. They can't find fault with you. Don't you think about that? You know your life. You know your choices. You know the stupid stuff you've done. And before God, they're going to present you as someone who cannot find fault with you. If you ever read the book of Job, Job is brought, excuse me, Satan is talking to God. And he talks to him about Job. And Satan accuses Job before God. When we sin, when we mess up, there's an accusation that happens between Satan and God. Did you just see what Travis did? And the God of the universe holds out his hand and says, I covered that sin too. And you are presented without fault before the God of the universe. You are defined as holy. You are defined as blameless. You are defined as above reproach. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. Phenomenal, we'll talk about that. We're not going to talk about that now. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Have you guys ever studied crucifixion? There was no joy in crucifixion. Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected crucifixion. And the whole purpose of it was to put you in the most agonizing state they could and keep you alive for as long as they could to increase the time of torture. And then on top of that, they put you up to where everyone can see you and you got looked on with shame for the last hours or even maybe days of your life as you hung up there. And Jesus is saying, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So the question is, what joy was set before Jesus that he said, I'll do that? You are that joy. You are that joy. The thought of redeeming you, buying you back from your sins, and welcoming you to him was what he said was the joy set before him that he was willing to go to that length to buy you back. The Bible has already defined you. You're holy, you're blameless, you're above reproach, and you are the joy that Christ said, I will get crucified for you. So understand, when the world's definition is doing this, you do bad, you do good, you do bad, you do good, it doesn't matter because Christ's definition of you is always here. The world's definition never changes. You're going to live in this till you die. But I don't have to be affected by this because I read that Christ puts me here. If you look more at that, that verse back from Jeremiah, that I'm called by your name. In Isaiah 56, 5, this is a phenomenal verse. Says, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In Christ, I receive a name that is better than sons and daughters. I was working one. I, I work shift work at the refinery. There was one night about 2 a.m. I was out just taking a walk and I was chewing on this verse right here. And my question was, what name is better? better than being a son or a daughter of God, right? Because to be a son of God or a daughter of God, that's a phenomenal title. And this verse says, I'm going to receive a name that's better than that. In the book of Revelations, the church, the global church, is called the bride of Christ. Now say with me here, a lot of guys re-quote this one when they're called a bride. God is using a marriage term here to, to, to showcase a point to us. If you out there choose to get married, you choose to have kids, you're going to find something out. You don't choose your kids. Wife gets pregnant. For nine months, there's anticipation growing of what is it? You know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? What are they going to be like? And all of a sudden, here comes the child. And for the next several decades, you get to know the child you were given. But that isn't the way it works with a spouse. See, my wife and I, we chose each other. I chose her and she chose me. And what Christ is saying here, <clears throat> the name that you will be given that is better than sons and daughters is the fact that he chose you. That when you look back and you see the cross, there's this moment that comes on where you say, he started it all the way back down and I'm the recipient of it now. He started this, 
he did this, and I get to do this, be here with him. Your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me joy and the delight of my life, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for the ability just to come here to study your word, to see what it says, and just to be with you. God, thank you for this college. Thank you for the, the last month of school they have. I pray you gear them up for finals coming up here, Father, and just get them ready for what is to come. God, thank you for this campus. I pray they see opportunities to glorify the name of Christ and just to be with you. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I believe that you guys are dismissed. Ten minutes early. Have a good day. <laughs>